this episode. How are you feeling right now? Because it's all happening. It feels so exciting and is probably the most overwhelming thing I've done in my life and the most <laughs> rewarding. You have to talk about your book everywhere you go. You just like, you don't want to hide it to yourself. You never know what door is going to open for you. Before you go to an agent or if you have a book contract, before you go to your publisher, create a reader's committee. Cannot be just your spouse and your mother. Has to be people who are the target readers for this book. We're not real estate brokers. Uh, the best of us aren't. We're not just brokering a deal. We're really thinking strategically about your career. It's not the six-figure deal that we got. It's the fact that they had a vision and we honored it. Because we work for the author end of day. It also breaks us out of the shackles that so many authors suffer from, which is this kind of we are not worthy, low self-esteem, it'll never happen. We have to break out of that. Let's go bigger than the book. Because the book is obviously part of your life story now. It's part of your legacy. No one can ever take that away from you. And I always say to everyone, you've achieved one of the greatest feats of humankind. Because <laughs> we know how hard it is to get to that place where you can say the book is done. Or I'm done with the book. We can just let them go. We can just literally drop those stories. They no longer serve us. They certainly won't serve the readers that you're trying to get to. So be bold, be brave, and double your goals for this year. In the book, I talk about the four kinds of writers who get book deals, because everyone is at least one type, and then lean into those fronts when it comes to pitching their books. And that, to me, is like the most sort of, that's the most successful that you can be. Most people are not but one of these types. So those four are the Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to explore the inner game of writing and life and inspire you to start, finish and publish a best-selling book. I'm Mark DeVoe and in this episode we have part one of our interview with Manhattan-based Agent to the Stars, Lucinda Halpern. But before we dive in, I'd like to thank you all, our family of Experimates and all our wonderful patron subscribers and Bestseller Academy members. I just want to, for a minute, I just want to stop and pause and just tell you how awesome it is that you guys are all here because I get to see all the amazing people that listen to this podcast. And I, I like to sometimes just go and do a little delve around the internet and get a sense as to who you all are and what you're up to. And it absolutely blows me away when I find out about the backgrounds to you and what you're doing in your life and some of the amazing people that listen to this show. Um, for example, our patron of the week this week is James Sharp. Yes, James, thank you so much for signing up as a patron. Uh, James is a writer, producer and director based in London, and he's directed award-winning short films, music videos, and, and he writes music as soliloquies. So, I mean, what a... What an awesome start, patron-wise. And then I checked out a new YouTube subscriber. So our YouTube subscriber of the week is Charlotte French. And Charlotte is an indie author, and she describes herself as an intense Swede among laid-back Aussies, sand, salt, and the usual insects, which I guess must mean you're down under, Charlotte. But absolutely amazing website that I checked out there. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Bestseller Experiment YouTube channel. And our Academy Member of the Week 
is Alex Waite. Now, Alex, you are our Academy Member of the Week because this week you followed up on one of our life coaching sessions in the Academy where I challenged people to create a mock cover of their book that they were working on and not just create it, but print it out and stick it on a hardcover book <laughs> so that you could sit it on your writing desk. So every time you sit down to write, you see your book. And what's amazing is... Alex did this. He followed it through and he sent us a picture on the Academy of his cover. So congratulations, Alex. Uh, something magic that happens when you can actually see, touch and feel the thing that you're working on, you know, the tangible reality of what you're trying to create. So I really recommend everyone to try that. Um, but Alex is an incredible person. Firstly, Alex, he uh, he's the uh, animator on on the Peter Rabbit film, Legends of Guardians, and was the lead animator on the Oscar-winning animation, Happy Feet, which is one of my absolute favorite films. You probably remember that with the uh, the penguins. Um, and on top of that, I get the privilege of coaching Alex, uh, you know, weekly in the academy. And Alex, you're one of the nicest guys you can meet. Uh, I just want to thank you for being a part of that. So if you'd like to be like James, uh, pop along and become a patron of this podcast. It's bestselleracademy.com forward slash support. If you want to be like Charlotte, it's even it's even simply just go to the Bestseller Experiment YouTube channel and subscribe to the channel. But if you want to be like Alex and you want to hang out with him and others, then pop along and join the Bestseller Academy. It's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. So as you can probably see, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably see the snow falling here in West Canada. We had a dumping of 10 inches and it feels like the whole world has stopped. But, uh, you know, cancellations of schools. I, I used to remember those days as a kid, those lovely snow days. But you know what? If you've got to actually get anywhere, it's snow fun. And that is the worst, I know, the worst dad joke ever, but... I've been in Canada now for 13 years. And I remember as a kid, we used to like, we used to do the snow dance in England. We used to pray for just even an inch of snow, which was what, you know, and it would stay around for a day or two if we we're lucky. I came to Canada. I can move to the warmest place in Canada and we still get 10 inches of snow dumping. It was minus 18 the other day. I literally might, it's the strangest thing, but my nostril hairs actually froze. That is apparently a thing. <laughs> you can actually get frozen nostril hairs. I know that's too much information, <laughs> but I want to know if anyone's ever experienced this. I don't know. We've done this before on the podcast. I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if I'm the only person who's ever experienced this. I did this with smell once. I don't know if you remember like going back six months. I, was, I think I was talking to Mark about the fact that I can block my nose uh, if if I don't want to smell anything. And I did get other people confirm that I'm not a complete weirdo and that other people can do this as well. But have you ever had your nostril hairs freeze? Probably at the top of a mountain if you were skiing or doing something crazy. But let me know, <laughs> drop me a note, go to the contact form on the Bestseller Academy website. It's Bestseller, uh, sorry, Bestseller Experiment website, which is bestsellerexperiment.com. All right. Now, also, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice that I'm wearing this white shirt, which I haven't worn on the podcast before. And for any of you who heard the interview I did on another podcast called Next Chapter by the absolutely lovely Ellie Barker, I explain the relevance of this white shirt. And there's a reason why I'm wearing it today. So if you want to learn more about that, go check out uh, Ellie Barker's interview with me on the Next Chapter. Um, and Ellie Barker was actually on 
podcast as well. So you check out her interview that we did with her. But let's now go into today's part one interview with Lucinda Halpern. I'm so delighted to get Lucinda on the show. Lucinda is a literary agent with over 15 years of experience securing major book deals with publishing companies, all the big ones. I mean, listen to this list. Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, Hachette, Macmillan and Scholastics. I mean, that's a who's who of the top, top publishing companies out there. She's represented a range of New York Times and internationally best-selling authors in business, health, lifestyle, popular science, narrative fiction, which we mentioned before, memoir, and upmarket fiction. Prior to founding her agency, Lucinda worked in the publicity division of HarperCollins, where she assisted on media campaigns for books like Freakonomics, which is, I remember getting that book for my birthday once, among other New York Times bestsellers. She later worked on as a marketing consultant for Gretchen Rubin on her massive breakout book, The Happiness Project, before launching her own career as an agent. So in this interview, we talk about Lucinda's new book, Get Signed, Find an Agent, Land a Book Deal, and Become a Published Author. And I chat with her about why you need an agent. Uh, She tells me the four types of authors, and I'm interested as to which one you are. I also ask her about TED Talk or book, which should come first, and why all authors should consider a career in public speaking. And listen to the end where you can find out how to win one of three signed copies of Lucinda's brand new book just released, Get Signed. So let's dive in and listen to part one of this interview with Lucinda Halpern. Lucinda Halpern, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? Terrific. How are you, Mark? I am absolutely over the moon to have you on the show, Lucinda. I'm super excited to to be chatting with you today. And this is a big moment in your life, isn't it? You've got a big book launch coming out. Get signed, find an agent, land a book deal and become a published author. How are you feeling right now? Because it's all happening. It feels so exciting and is probably the most overwhelming thing I've done in my life and the most (laughs) rewarding and the most rewarding. Wow. Now tell me, when did this book idea start? Go Take me back. Sure. Well, it's obviously such a meta experience because for those listeners who don't know me, I'm a literary agent and I started um, a company, Lucinda Literary, nearly 13 years ago. And I like to think that everything has been building toward this moment of realizing a dream I'd had as an aspiring writer when I lived back in a garret apartment in Paris after school and was writing you know, memoirs and poetry and short stories. Um, But it was actually in starting this business that set me on the path to writing the book. So obviously, I've learned a lot in over a decade about the way that book deals are done and the authors who succeed in in getting them and then launching successful books. Um, I'd always had the mission to represent or rather to reach writers beyond the elite and select few that agents can just physically take care of, right? We always wanted that very hands-on approach with our clients, but I thought there's got to be a way to teach writers in some broader way, to make a difference in their lives and to demystify this totally wonky business of publishing that no one really understands. So again, that had been a dream 
on the back burner for 10 years and the dream to be a writer for 20 years. So you fast forward and it's the pandemic and I begin teaching writers from Zoom, from my child's bedroom, uh, about how to write big ideas, you know, how to break in and get an agent's attention. I started, I was fired up to, to start writing a book that I thought would simply promote my business and that I'd self-publish. And I end up going to dinner with a friend of mine who's the associate publisher at Hay House. As I teach writers, you have to talk about your book everywhere you go. You just like, you don't want to hide it to yourself. You never know what door is going to open for you. As an entrepreneur, I have made everything happen in my life. I drive results. I don't, um, there are very few moments, if any, where a gift just falls in my lap. My friend, Patty Gift, this associate publisher said, don't self-publish that book. We want to commission it. There's a need in the market for it. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. You know, you, you have to, it's too wild. I, I have all these clients that run this business. I always dreamed of something like this, but I thought it would be literary fiction. I didn't think it'd be a, a self-help book of, of sorts. And, and that's been the journey. Um, and, you know, I'll, I had a small platform. I had, a, and we can talk more about that. You know, it's such a, a big, big um, barrier to entry in today's nonfiction market. I think, how can I have just a few thousand followers on my email list and my social media feeds and get an actual book deal? But the need in the market was powerful for a for a big idea like this. And that's wow. really what got me that result. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, hearing that backstory, Lucinda, it was obviously meant to be, but I love, love, love what you say about tell your idea to everyone you know, whatever opportunity because the doors open and it's, it's so, so true. And can you imagine like the sliding doors of you having not mentioned your book idea during that dinner? What, where could you be today having not mentioned it? I could be running a perfectly wonderful and successful agency of a team of agents who I adore, um, working with authors I, I adore, but I would not be able to make an impact in a way that I want to make an impact. Yeah. Because again, the pain point of writers who don't understand how to break in, how to get heard, how to get a response from an agent is so overwhelming. And it's a message I've heard over the years that has just increased. There's got to be someone who can take the time to explain it. It's not yeah. all that complicated. Well, yeah, you of say course that, I share from, all the secrets, right? Well, I know, right. But from the outside looking in, when when people the, the thought of just landing an agent for most most authors is is a huge huge life achievement dream and you know we we talk about this all the time we've had we've had a number of agents on on the show over the years but what i love is this philosophy that i have in life which is if you're gonna dedicate your life to it you've got to first like give it a go yourself you've got to try it out like when we when we we launched the podcast we 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 went on this mission to write a book to kind of learn the process and I love the fact that as an agent who's had huge success with authors, you're now going through that incredible process as well. What have been the big learning points for you so far as an author? It has absolutely, Mark, it has transformed my compassion and my care for authors. <laughs> so this was always, that it was always intended to have that benefit. You know, one thing I get from every new writer, and we work with a lot of first-time writers and sort of do multiple books and 
you know, forge careers for them is I'm new at this, Lucinda. So can you explain? And I'm like, yes, I know you're new at this. I'd love to give you the playbook. And so that's what I also hoped this book would accomplish is just like everything I'm learning on top of what I've learned from my successful authors, this would be the tool that I could give out. So, you know, some of those things are so many of them. Some of those things include the importance for those who are writing a manuscript or a book proposal before you go to an agent or if you have a book contract before you go to your publisher, create a reader's committee, a survey that you send to about 10 to 15 trusted people cannot be just your spouse and your mother, has to be people who are the target readers for this book. And in my case, that was, you know, authors I really trust to ghostwriters who work with, you know, it was students I'd taught and force them to give you the most critical feedback. And it's it's key to do that again at the developmental stage, not when you think this is polished and you're proud to share it with people, but when you're still a little embarrassed and vulnerable and get them to help you figure out those weaknesses you really have to fix before you get this out to agents or before you get this out to your publisher. Uh, so that that was one of the the deep learnings for me. Another one, this may sound simple. I recorded my own audiobook, and that I probably love the audiobook more than I do the printed book because it just it was such a fun experience. Um, and it really, you know, I could really feel the writing, as you know from from having a podcast. You must read the book aloud once you think it's done before you put that into production, because how you read it is how people hear it. And if it's convoluted and you're tripping over your tongue, that's going to suck in the audiobook recording, but it also is going to make for a jarring reading experience. So that's something I now teach authors to do that they're sort of like, huh, never thought to do it. Um, so do it, do it in, like in reverse, almost like think about creating the audiobook first as part of the process of writing the printed version of the book. I absolutely love that. Well, Mark, I'd also say the whole book, since you touch on the reverse engineering part, that is huge for me in life as in books, you know, reverse engineering from successful models. The manuscript itself can be reverse engineered into a pitch letter, right? So a lot of this book is about writing the perfect pitch. And the perfect pitch comes from really knowing what is, you know, what those salient points are in your manuscript for nonfiction, what those big takeaways are and getting that into your pitch letter. So you're actually thinking about the pitch when you write the book. That would be how I'd hope that writers can think of it. And that's difficult because writers aren't necessarily business people, they're creatives. Yeah, 100%. I think, and I do think this reverse engineering model is, is something that's completely underlooked in terms of the breaking down of the process. It's Stephen Covey's classic, you know, think with the end in mind, right? Start, start with that. So what, what's the end in mind for you with this book? I do want to make this impact for writers and educate people um, and, and sort of unveil, you know, unveil behind the curtain what goes on. Um, from a business perspective, uh, you know, I've, I've long wanted to diversify the business. I mean, it, client service can be one aspect, but we also represent authors for speaking um, we, you know, I've always looked to innovate. I think that courses and consultations, if I find myself saying the same thing over and over and over again to clients and to new writers, it's like, why wouldn't I bottle that up in a course and in a book and, you know, find a way to really make it more accessible and, and scaled. 
So that's um, yeah. I want I want to go on the speaking circuit. I want to spread spread the word about how this is done. Wow. So this is a, this is a bigger than just the book. And, and oh yes. The, so tell me. Let's. I was going to dive into that later, but you brought it up now because it's and it fascinates me as well. Um, the speaking bureau that you have as part of the agency. What what roughly what percentage of of authors that you work with actually end up doing the speaking circuit? Thank you for asking that. Um, a, a very small percent, because a lot of people work with lecture agencies and they're often frustrated by the results. The fact is that when you are, um, you know, when you want to be a speaker, much like an author, people are coming and searching directly for you. So it's not really the lecture agent that is doing the bulk of that work. It's the leads that you are generating as an author through your recognition in whatever field you're writing in. So as you can imagine, you know, there's a handful of authors who can actually do that enough to generate a speaking business. However, it should be the end goal for so many authors who are, you know, writing nonfiction as in your audience. Um, And there are even novelists we have who are making vibrant speaking careers and they're memoirists. But often it's sort of the pop sci nonfiction big idea books that are being sought after in the speaking market. Yeah. And it does feel so underdeveloped, doesn't it? I mean, we, we've seen within the podcast market alone, you know, that the, the world tours that some podcasts doing as well. And, and there's so many opportunities. And I, like you, I want to encourage people to think about this, to get out there. Before I started my writing career, I spent seven years at Toastmasters for that very reason, just to get out there and practice speaking and getting in front of people. And, you know, we, everyone's you know who writes can be great storytellers but i think you're right that connection with the human voice and to be in the presence of you know as a musician that's played major festivals in former life as well like there's something different about when you're in the room with that person you connect with them on such a deep level once you leave the room they've become a part of the fabric of your life in such a deeper way so i'm fascinated by it and i've got a really interesting question for you around that it's a chicken and egg question but as an as an expert on on speaking and speaking gigs, what comes first, the book or the TED talk? Oh, fascinating! Um, well, it could be done either way, right? I would say that anyone who wants to be a legitimate, a lucrative, you know, to have a lucrative career in speaking, the TED talk is really important at some point along the way. Mm-hmm. I think that editors and agents alike are scouting. TED Talks, and there are other there are other sort of video, uh, video platforms, but TED is the biggest one for book ideas, right? Because you have to synthesize all of the things you've learned in your field. And I found about a decade in as the sweet spot of when you're really sort of well entrenched enough in your area of expertise, but have room to grow, that you're in a prime position to get that TED Talk or that book deal. So TED Talk is great before the deal. Um, and you know, so I wish I, I wish I had an answer to that question because book deals are come about in so many different ways, right? Mm. But I do think for a speaking career, it really behooves you to go after that TED Talk. Brilliant. And one of the authors that you've represented really successfully, one of one of my favorite authors in in self help is Chris Bailey. Uh, Chris, you wrote Hyperfocus, and uh, you know more recently a book about calm, which was a bit of a a, a really fascinating tangent, but. He he has one of the most popular TED Talks out there, doesn't it? And did that happen before the book or after the book? It happened after. So yes, to to answer your question more um, more fully, I think that a book does 
sort of put you on the map as a thought leader, as an expert, as an authority, and it gives you that piece of authority that um, that Ted's going to be attracted to. Now, Chris was actually a story I was going to tell. I do tell it more fully in the book, but in terms of the speaking idea. So Chris is a, when he comes to me, 22 years old, out of college, doesn't have yet, you know, any business experience in the corporate world, isn't a social scientist with a PhD, but he does have this fantastic blog and he's got this great writing voice and personality. And we were able to sell his book, you know, for, for a six-figure deal to crown a part of Random House. And when we met with his, because you do a bunch of publisher meetings, Mark, you know this, and maybe mm. you're, maybe a lot of your audience does, you go around, you do a pageant of publisher meetings. And the editor there said, well, Chris, you know, the book's not going to be where you make money. It's going to be the speaking career. And 22-year-old Chris, like the head spinning around, what does he mean speaking? I don't public speak. I'm, you know, I'm a blogger, right? And I'm kind of a research nerd. I'm an introvert. And now you fast forward and Chris is, you know, three books in, we just sold his last book. It is meaning that he's going to have a new book coming out, which we're very excited about. And you know, and now he's got these TED Talks that are millions of viewers. Mm-hmm. So it's just so, it's been so much fun to see that that arc and that transformation that comes from having a book. Yeah. It's like discovering Ed Sheeran when he was like 14. Eh? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I love it. I love it. Now, to back back to your book, um, I want you, you've actually got it behind you. I just want you, can you reach out and grab it so people can see it? I just want people to see. So there we go. So now I want to ask you the question. When was the first time you held that physical copy in your hand? Take me back to that moment. Oh, wow. Well, you can see a really silly uh, social media unboxing video on my Instagram feed about it that people said I had to do. Um, But it's uh, the moment I held in my hand. I actually think, Mark, that the more special moment was when I got the the interior proofs back, those first proofs that have you know, the inside of how the book is going to look with the design, I thought, oh my goodness, this is real. This is a book. So that was actually the more exciting moment. By the time the book actually arrived in uh, hardcover, I was like, okay, great. Um, Reading the audiobook was another sort of magic, magic experience of, wow, I'm reading the words I wrote. Let's hope I don't mess up. Yeah. Yeah. There's something, but it's something for me that, I mean, the audio and and the spoken word. We always talk about this in the podcast, but once they're recorded, they live forever. And there's something incredibly powerful as a, as a human experience, as a creator, to actually hear those words that you've spoken and that you've seen written on the page. And something for me shifts inside of you. And I think that's the bit so many people miss about the writing journey. No one can ever take away that moment in your life where you reach that milestone, uh, you know, regardless of what happens moving forward. So I love that. Did you do though, there is a thing that we have on the podcast called the sniff test. Uh, it's when you get the new, it's when you open your book, like people just have to smell that paper. <laughs> Did you do that? Have you tried it? Oh man, let me, let me try it now. <laughs> on, give it a go. Oh, it, it smells like a real book. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Doesn't it bring you back to when you, um, when you were a child and you'd walk into a bookshop and there was something about the, 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 the smell of like paper. This, uh, that's why I don't think we're ever going to have a world where we're completely digitized in books and, and long may that be. Cause I, th- I, I'm, I'm a tech nerd as well. And I'm 
as much as happy at home with my Kindle as I am with a with a. a I a sure hope so. But yes, I think it's it's something about the tangibility of that book that you've created. So it's absolutely it's permanent. Brilliant. You look at it on your bookshelf and you read it to someone. You you know you pick it up and you read a line that you love. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, anything digital will never have that permanency. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, now tell me about. Um, landing a book deal because obviously a huge part of this obviously you're covering it in the book but a huge part of this is actually having an agent to help you because i think for most people you know that, that try to go it alone it's fraught even just trying to do it on your own is is a lost cause in some ways because you don't have an agent because most publishers now won't even speak to someone unless they're represented is that right that's correct that's correct now uh, you know, God bless if you do go to publishers and get a deal directly. I often advise authors to try sort of a host of, um, in their query process, and they find this surprising, try a few publishers and make the majority of your list agents, because you never know if a publisher is going to tap you. And then, of course, those agents get more interested sure. because they know that there's something on the other side. Um, but absolutely, agents are trusted gatekeepers. There are 6 million books being published a year, apparently. <laughs> that wow. number sounds so wild. I've got to, I've got to go I'll double check that number. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and maybe that includes self-publishing, but um, they need people who are reviewing that and who have the relationships and the understanding of the market to be pitching you to, um, to publishers. The really funny thing, Mark, is that more and more I've been in the chair of convincing authors who plan to self-publish why they should work with an agent who takes a commission and then why they should actually get a book deal from a publisher. Because publishers get a bad rap these days. Yeah. I'm well, I mean, it's interesting. So what so you're saying that if somebody is dead set on publishing themselves, your job is to convince them against that. What would be the reasons why you'd say to not self-publish today? I speak with a lot of them. I think that if they've built the audience and the credibility that you are always a candidate for an agent, right? That's what we call a platform. So if they have lots of people who know their name beyond their immediate network and they have a Google presence of uh, you know of a robust kind, they should be talking to an agent and publisher to see what benefits the agent and publisher can bring to the table. So it's a funny place to be in. What are those benefits? An agent is, you know, choose your analogy, a, a doula when you don't trust the doctor, um, you know, a spouse, a therapist, uh, you know, um, a bulldog. There, there are so many different ways in which we act, but I would say it's well beyond the broker, right? We're not real estate brokers. Uh, the best of us aren't. We're not just brokering a deal. We're really thinking strategically about your career. We're really trying to honor the vision that you came to us with. That's the number one thing that authors will tell me it's not the six-figure deal that we got. It's the, it's the fact that they had a vision and we honored it. Mm. Because we work for the author end of day. And so working with an agent is you, you want someone working on your side. Because the publisher, you know, your editor works for the publishing house. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely love that. I love that. It's about if, if you can capture that vision and if you believe and see in that vision as the agent, then all the good stuff follows. All right, including the book deal, including the success, the speaking gigs, the the audio books, the maybe the number one positions in the chart. So, and it's a much more holistic approach, isn't it, than I think most people realise. Because an an agent 
starts very, very early on in the process sometimes as well, like you were saying, especially if it's a new, a newer author. What's the longest time that you've worked with an author before you've actually got to the point of going out and, and you know, push, pushing them to, uh, to publishing houses? Oh, what a great question. Um, I worked with authors longer for longer periods of time earlier in my career. I mean, I have memories of working with novelists that we'd take like, two years to develop a manuscript wow. and then sell it. Um, we represent uh, someone who uh, has a, an app called FitMind. His name is Liam McClintock, and he has a, he'll have a best-selling book, I'm sure, coming out. Mm. He's in the Chris Bailey space. We worked with him for nine months on his book proposal, and that was after he'd worked on it with a different agent that he left for our agency. So you have got to welcome that rigor. It can be a long time. Um, if you really believe in something, you'll keep going at it. Well, absolutely, because this isn't just for Christmas, right? This is This could be a decade, or in the case of some authors, including myself right now, this is the rest of their life. This is what people are saying, I want this to be my legacy in the world in some way. I want this to, to, to be a fabric of everything I show up to do, even at a, even at a kind of a core level. Um, so I think I love to hear that because, you know, again, coming from the music industry years ago, I, I would see how some of the greatest bands on earth, you know, the, the radio heads of this world, we got to interview Radiohead before they were even known. They were being developed by the record labels and that doesn't really happen as much anymore. It's very much a, you know, 15 minutes of fame. And then, you know, if, if the world plucks you out as someone that goes viral, then great, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. So I love to hear that that model still is, is, exists and is believed in. Um, it does. It does. The, the editorial part is so rich and so core to the author-agent relationship. You know, we are your primary editors. And the authors I work with, they don't trust just their editor. They may, you know, I have to read their manuscript too. They want my feedback. It's, I was their first champion and they trust, you know, there's just a trust there and you want to shape something together and what pride both, both parties can take in that. I, I can say to you, Mark, that most books start with a pretty small idea and we have to develop them into a big idea. And when you have that breakthrough, it is just so exciting. Love it. Love it. So let's go bigger. Let's go bigger than the book. Because the book is obviously part of your life story now. It's part of your legacy. No one can ever take that away from you. You'll look back on it, you know, at, as, at the end of our lives. I always think about this, think with the end in mind. Look back on what we've created in our life. And I always say to everyone I come into contact with who's ever published a book, you know, you've achieved one of the greatest feats of humankind because <laughs> we know how hard it is to get to that place where you can say the book is done or I'm done with the book. It's usually the latter, right? But um, so the question I have for you, Lucinda, is what is driving this passion of yours? What is the legacy that you want to create in your life through your work? Such a great question. Um, I write about it a little bit in the acknowledgements. I think, it, and it came to me as I was writing the acknowledgements, just on a very personal level. Like we know why this helps a business, um, and I think you know what I'd love for for this to do is because writers actually read. Ideally, they go to Amazon and they search for a resource on how to get an agent, and they come up with this kind of you know nice, nicely packaged 
professional book, uh, professionally published book, and they go to our agency to check us out. So, you know, on a very easy level, it's a, it's a good business move. On a personal level, again, it was that aspiring writer inside of me, the fact that I could apply my own method to make this happen. It's kind of cool. Like you, I came out of the industry, the music industry a little bit. I was a, a child opera singer. No um, way. I wow. managed independent bands later on. I've always been really? a music lover as much as I am a book lover. I would say actually many people in publishing were media people of all kinds, music and film and movies, all of it. So, uh, so this actually connects me back to my deepest self as a performer, uh, which I found there's actually a Jesuit proverb that says, give me the child at seven, I'll show you the man. This is me at age seven. This is the most core piece of who I am. But in the acknowledgments I write uh, to my young daughters, I said, I hope that one day you will have a, a career that you'll never have to apologize for. Meaning wow. you can you can take time and and love. I, I've made a very a, a very big decision in my life to prioritize this business to prioritize my clients. And that's come at a sacrifice, right? That comes at a cost of spending time with family. Um, And I believe in that. And I want to teach younger generations and particularly younger women that that's okay. That that's okay. There will be another moment in which I'm, you know, dedicated, but this is my moment to write and publish a book Mm. and everything has to stop for that. Mm. Can I share something with you? What you just said about about chatting with your daughter. I've got three young kids. Well, not so young anymore. I think of them as young just because I'm so old now. But anyway, um, the the one thing, the one thing that I decided about 15 years ago in my life was anything that I decided to do in life work-wise or otherwise, but when work being such a huge part of what we do every single day is a massive chunk of our life. My biggest realization about deciding what to do is, would this inspire my kids? Mm. That's it. And not necessarily to try to say, oh, so they can follow in my footsteps and do music or being an author, you know, will it inspire them to follow whatever their passion ends up being in life? And I put that out as a little, you know, square quote on the internet and it went absolutely viral. It went all over the internet. And it's in journals now to do with parenting. <laughs> I just keep showing up. Everywhere. You're a parenting expert now. Well, but, but you know, do you know, it's so, for me, that that is what got me to the very core. Of, yes. Of why we do the things that we do. Um, and like you say, it, it is a sacrifice. Yeah. This idea of having a career uh, that you don't have to apologize for, it, it, it does make me think, I just said it now, I just put it together now because you asked such a great question. I just put it in the it put it together in the acknowledgments that there was this deeper legacy that I was trying to leave. But the career that you don't have to apologize for, I'm thinking back to Chris Bailey, making this very unconventional move not to work in the business world as I'm sure everyone was telling him to do. For me, everyone told me not to start a company. I was 27 when I started a literary agency. I'd barely been a literary agent for more than a year and a half. I was a baby. And people said not to do it. And I had that self-belief to go forth and do it. And I've never had to apologize for this choice that I made. You know, you're a podcaster, a musician. It's like, these are unconventional paths that we've taken. 
And I really do think we're at the forefront of people actually pursuing their passions, pursuing them in a way that creates a livelihood and not having to apologize for it. Yeah, absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. Now, I want to ask you another big question. You have worked with a lot of authors. Which author, apart from Chris, we've already talked about, which author do you, would you say is the most successful author you've worked with and what have they done differently? Okay. The most successful I've worked with and what have they done? To, oh and my you goodness. Define, uh, you're you asking me to su- pick favorites? No, no. Uh, you define success. No, they're all your children, right? You can't pick favorites, but, but define success in whatever way you want to define it. But just an example of one of your authors who did something differently. Yes. Um, great. I have the example top of mind and he's really become one of my closest friends and actually a, a business partner on a different venture we have together. So his name is Ron Friedman. In the book, I talk about the four kinds of writers who get book deals. And this is kind of the really fun part, right? Because writers get to go into this book and find out which kind you are, because everyone is at least one type, and then lean into those fronts when it comes to pitching their books. Great. So where did I get this little paradigm or framework? My author, Ron Friedman, who actually is all four of these types. And that to me is like the most sort of, that's the most successful that you can be. Most people are not, but one of these types. So those four are the ideator. So the big ideas person, the everywhereist, So the great marketer, the data collector, so the person who does all the market research, and the crusader, the person who just tenaciously never gives up and keeps fighting for what they believe in. Ron does all four of these things exceedingly well. He's a social scientist and he's a business book author. He wrote a book called The Best Place to Work. He wrote a a more recent book called Decoding Greatness. And what's made him so successful is the reverse engineering piece of this business, which again, I talk a lot about in Get Signed. It's how can we learn from our mentors and just by doing our research, which is so readily available. So Ron did the research on, he read the books in his area. He distinguished what was missing. Then he went after the agents who represented those books that he admired. And that was the data collector piece. He's crusaded relentlessly, even though he was a no one, you know, he lives in, uh, you know, in, in Rochester. He, it wasn't like he was connected to the New York literati. He just went and advocated. He was one of the first successful um, online course developers. So he has taught me, a, you know, a huge amount about that and online marketing. And he's a big ideas guy through and through. It comes up with a good idea every week and he comes up with a great idea every month and he comes up with a phenomenal idea every year. So he has all four of these things and he's taught me so much. And the best part of my business is being in, being in business with people who are smarter than me, who are, who are teaching me something new every day. Wow. That's great. So that sounds like your dream. Cause I was going to ask you, who is your dream? He's my dream client. He's my dream. So it's somebody that crosses all of those four different types of authors that you've identified in the book. And if the, those who are listening or watching this, like the dream client, I'll just be very specific, is James Clear. You know, someone who has a really legitimate sort of science-backed approach to a big idea that they're teaching and who can present it very well and very mm-hmm. accessibly. 
yeah, he is kind of like the standout author, I think, of the last decade in terms of a book that has just kept on going. And yeah, I've looked to James actually in, you know, for inspiration um, in terms of how he's done it as well. Studied, you know, the the building of his now 2 million strong mailing list plus uh, fascinating, fascinating things going on there. Absolutely. What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book? Quitting the day job? Becoming a best-selling author? Since 2016, we've interviewed and studied the advice of over 500 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over 1 billion books. And in the Bestseller Academy, we've incorporated powerful and proven strategies for success, inspiring fiction and non-fiction authors just like you to reach new heights and write their best book ever. Ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, coaching, and the most inspiring and exclusive community of like-minded writers? Well, your bestseller dreams are just a click away. Join us today at bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Wow. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one. There's a lot of information to take in there. It's the kind of interview I had to listen back to a couple of times because there's so much value there. And it's so incredible having Lucinda's expertise on the podcast. But next week, tune in to find out the insane event that happened when I pitched my book to Lucinda. And as she told me after the interview, you just can't make this stuff up. Lucinda has generously given us three signed copies of her book, Get Signed, to give away. So to put your name in the hat to win one, simply go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash win and add your name. You don't want to miss this, folks. It's absolutely bonkers. Now, moving on, this week's challenge that I've got for you all. As you know, my my goals in this nonfiction book are, are kind of mental. Um... I wanted to try and reach a million people with this concept of passive eater. So in the spirit of me going out, putting my neck out there, I want to challenge you to think about what your goal is for this year or the projects you're currently working on and write it down. But there's a catch. Once you've written it down, whatever it is, you've got to you've got to quantify it. You've got to talk about numbers, book sales, people you want to reach, you know, dates, whatever it might be for you. But when you've written that goal down, my challenge this week is to dream bigger than you ever have before. So pause this, write it down, and come back after you've finished. Okay, now hopefully you've got your goal now. So here's the catch. I want you to now double it. I want you to double that goal, whatever you wrote down, whether it was book sales, people you wanted to reach. Um, and if you put a due date, don't double that. Don't give yourself an extra year to read your book. You have to half that. Make it, make it really huge. Make it bigger than you could ever imagine. Because here's the thing that I'm learning is that if you're willing to think like this, it doesn't require any extra energy to do that, but it can start in in turn, the wheels of motion, which make you think differently about how you're going to achieve that bigger goal. 
And that's what it's all about, folks. It's, um, you know, I'm challenging people in the academy. They're, they're creating their goals. We've had Zoe kind of, and, and we've had Susie declaring what they want to do in terms of like numbers of sales with their book. And I've saying double it, make that your first goal. And so this is in the spirit of the fact that why, why don't we, it doesn't take any extra effort to do this. We just literally think it. And it also breaks us out of the shackles that so many authors suffer from, which is this kind of, we are not worthy, low self-esteem, it'll never happen. We have to break out of that. So the only way we do it is we, by, by shaking ourselves up and saying, you know what, I'm not going to think like this anymore. I'm not going to allow negative thinking and maybe even a lifetime of this kind of being bashed into you that you're never going to be good enough that, you know, the English teacher who told you you'd never write all those stories that we've kind of held on to as part of identity. We can just let them go. We can just literally drop those stories. They no longer serve us. They certainly won't serve the readers that you're trying to get to. So be bold, be brave and double your goals for this year. So that is my little motivational minute for this week. And folks, we're out of time. I can't, you haven't got time to go through the, the wins. So we'll do those next week when we do with uh, part two with Lucinda. But one thing I haven't mentioned before is if you enjoy the music you hear on this show, including the bestseller experiment theme, um, it's music I've written, even the intro stuff that you're hearing now. So if you like, if you like it, and you'd like to like pop it on whilst you're writing your book, you can check out my music project. It's called Urban Myth Club, and you can listen to us on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, YouTube Music, wherever you get your music from. Um, you can even still buy CDs and download things. You know, back. Do you remember those days of CDs? But they do check that out. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you have a listen. Subscribe to to maybe Spotify um, to get new music as and when it comes out. You can also watch a video of today's episode on YouTube if you're listening to this. So you go to at Bestseller Experiment or at YouTube, just search for Bestseller Experiment and we'll pop up. And you can join us on socials, at Facebook or on Bestseller Experiment, on X or Twitter, Instagram, Threads and Pinterest. Just go to at Bestseller XP. And also just want to say a massive thanks to our production team, JD, Dave, and Lisa. I honestly could not do this without you guys and all of our amazing patrons who make this possible. So thank you, thank you so much. If you'd like to check out today's show notes and links, you'll find them at bestsellerexperiment.com. And whilst you're there, sign up to our newsletter for weekly updates, new episodes, and exclusives. And you can also drop me a note by clicking on the contact button on the website. And finally, if you want to get that book written, pop along to the 200 word challenge and join thousands of others building their daily writing habits. If you can win our first challenge and write 200 words every day for seven days, you're beating most people. It's not as easy as it sounds, so give it a go. So everyone have a fantastic writing week. Thank you again for spending this hour or so with me today, and I really appreciate it. So until next time, and part two next week, Lucinda. It's a goodbye from Mark DeVoe, a.k.a. Bookmark. Goodbye!